Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Ezekiel chapter 37, verses 1 through 14. Listen for what God is saying. The Lord's power overcame me, and while I was in the Lord's spirit, he led me out and set me down in the middle of a certain valley. It was full of bones. He led me through them all around, and I saw that there were a great many of them on the valley floor, and they were very dry. He asked me, human one, can these bones live again? I said, Lord God, only you know. He said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear your Lord's word. The Lord God proclaims to these bones, I am about to put breath in you and you will live again. I will put sinews on you, put flesh on you and cover you with skin. When I put breath in you and you come to life, you will know that I am the Lord. I prophesied just as I was commanded. There was a great noise as I was prophesying, and then a great quaking, and the bones came together, bone by bone. When I looked suddenly, there were sinews on them. The flesh appeared, and then they were covered over with skin, but there was still no breath in them. He said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, human one. Say to the breath, the Lord God proclaims, come with the four winds, breath, breathe into these dead bodies and let them live. I prophesied just as he commanded me. When the breath entered them, they came to life and stood on their feet, an extraordinarily large company. He said to me, Human one, these bones are the entire house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely finished. So now prophesy and say to them, The Lord God proclaims, I'm opening your graves. I will raise you up from your graves, my people and I will bring you to Israel's fertile land. You will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves. My people, I will put my breath in you, and you will live. I will plant you on your fertile land, and you will know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it. This is what the Lord says. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of the scripture. Good morning again. Please join me in a word of prayer. God, we are grateful on this day, on this, during this turning of the seasons when we are reminded that death and life commingle in this world and that you are the Lord of it all. And so help us as we um, settle into this space to be present to what it is that your spirit is trying to say and do within us, to be people who, of discernment, um, who just as, as Mika shared, who have a sense to understand and see what are the things in our lives that need to um, be given space to grow and live, and in order to do that, what are the things in our lives and our spirits that need to be set aside, put away, or even put to death. And so as we live into this community um, in this moment, we ask that your spirit would be present, that you would clear away the clutter in our hearts and our minds, the to-do lists and the things left undone that um, scratch away uh, in the back of our mind, Um, just uh, 
creating enough space for us to catch what it is that you want to do within us and through us in this world. And then help us to be people who respond with courage and obedience and always with joy and love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So uh, a few weeks ago, I had a um, brunch with Sharif, actually, and uh, she had shared some um, photos they, uh, about uh, a trip that they had taken to, that Sharif and George had, had taken to Spain for vacation. Um, and in the mid, she was telling me about, about how in the midst of the seafood and sea fun that they were having, they happened to come across a traveling exhibit for the Auschwitz concentration camp. Now, when you are faced with the choice, do I go in or pass by, an internal moral dilemma might take place. I would like to have fun on my vacation, but in the shadow of the Holocaust, so they went in. It was, predictably, a powerful and heart-wrenching exhibit, and one part in particular really drove home the scale of lives that were decimated. It was an exhibit piece that actually shows up in a lot of Holocaust museum exhibits. Maybe you've seen some version of that before. Shoes. Piles upon piles of shoes. Shoes of varying sizes and styles, sandals and loafers, boots and booties. Shoes that once housed the feet of a person who lived, who was corralled onto a train, who stumbled off the train and was sorted by sex. Shoes that were stepped out of when the person wearing them was told to strip down and shower. Shoes that were gathered up and dumped into a pile of other shoes, making their way to a museum exhibit in Madrid nearly 80 years later. To ponder these shoes, jumbled together, lifeless, but representative of a life, its mate somewhere in the pile, or maybe in another pile in another exhibit, I saw this photo and a couple of weeks ago, and when I read our passage for today, imagining this stretch of a valley filled with jumbled together bones, dried and washed out and flaked away, when I pictured this, I remembered the photo. And I thought of how Ezekiel must have felt walking along these bones in a ghoulish kind of showroom stroll, They're these bones representing lives cut short, stories never fully told. Walk around, God says. Take it all in. Dismembered, chaotically piled, bleached white and beyond dry, bones everywhere. Now our passage doesn't say it, but if you dig into Ezekiel, you'll find a community that has fallen not once, but twice to Babylon, the superpower of the day. Israel had long been overtaken, but Judah had held on tight. They were the last great hope. They resisted, they persisted, but in the end, they too were overcome. They had given it their all, but they were utterly defeated, totally deported, and finally scattered across the empire like shoes in a museum exhibit. Every sign and every symbol of Israel's faith and identity had been systematically dismantled. Jerusalem had been devastated. The temple was no more. Leadership had been absorbed. Any possibility that the God they knew could still be around and was going to intervene was growing thinner and thinner. And any future they could imagine for themselves was disappearing into the mists of assimilation and acculturation. They were a people set apart, quickly coming no more. This is what the Valley of Dry Bones is. 
lives cut short, lives forgotten, lives laid low in service to power and might, lives and life so little regarded that they haven't even been seen fit to keep the bones together. We are surrounded by death, even if we do our darndest to pretend that we're not. There are the things that we know about, right, like the constant ads for anti-aging creams and Groupons for cryogenic treatments. There are the streams of videos exhibiting police-involved shootings and the reports of mass shootings in schools and nightclubs and movie theaters and concert venues. And there are also the things we're totally unaware of, right, like how the National Institute of Mental Health by, uh, averages uh, that uh, by the time the average American reaches age 16, a person has seen 18,000 murders on television. And it has been estimated that violent death befalls 5% of all primetime characters each week. We are surrounded by death, even if we aren't completely aware of it. And so, Beginning last week and over the next few weeks, um, as Rashada mentioned, we're talking about death and dying, not because it's fun or really uh, because it's all that attractive. We're doing it because, well, as the series title says, everybody dies. And while much of our culture works overtime to ignore, avoid, or minimize this truth, the Christian tradition is here for it. It's a tradition rich with ways of understanding and holding the holy, mysterious place that death resides in. We are not a people afraid of death because we know that death does not have the final word. But even more than that, we understand ourselves to be part of something so much greater because the communion of saints, those who journey with us, stretches far beyond the veil that divides life and death. These saints are our people, even if they aren't with us in body. And so for Ezekiel to see this valley full of bodies so disrespected and lives so disregarded, the pain, the despair, the grief that he feels runs deep. They are, in the Judeo-Christian sense, in hell. Because in spite of what you might have gathered from Looney Tunes or Dante's Inferno, for Christians, hell is not a place where the little red man with horns and hooves is running around poking you with a pitchfork. No, hell in Hebrew, Sheol, was a place of murkiness and darkness, of separation from God and others. Directionally, it's always described as down. Emotionally, it's a place of grief, sorrow, and mourning. Experientially, it is where you are silenced, consumed, and surrounded. And in the Christian tradition, Jesus talks about hell as a place called Gehenna, which is an actual place, a city dump. There were constant fires being set to consume the trash and wild animals that fought over scraps of food, gnashing their teeth. When Jesus was talking about hell, he was talking about a literal place on earth. The valley of dry bones is hell because it is the trash heap of empire, the place where the bodies of those generations who have gone before have been dumped with no regard to who they were or what they meant. They are the trash outside of the city. They are literally in a pit. History has no use for them. Of course, in our context, when I think of bodies put in service to empire, not their own, when I think of bodies consumed, abandoned, 
forgotten. I can't help but think not only of the countless unmarked graves of enslaved people of African descent and the bodies tossed overboard in the Middle Passage, but also the discarded Native Americans buried under trails of tears. I think of imported Chinese and Filipinex entombed under railroads and shipping yards and poor whites tripped into lives filled with hatred. Earlier this year, I was listening, or earlier this week, I should say, I was listening to the Moth Radio Hour, um, a wonderful radio show where people tell stories from their lives around them. And this time, the theme was Squeaky Wheel. And there was a woman named Annie Tan who was sharing a story. She said her nickname growing up was Bot. In Cantonese, she said, it roughly translates to something like being a busybody, the kind of person who kind of sticks their nose into everything and wants to know uh, all the details about things. It's not exactly positive, right? Um, so she spends her childhood uh, trying to quell the, her curiosities because her parents are always kind of trying to like stamp that out, right? Um, but then one day she's watching television and there's a PBS documentary about a Chinese-American man named Vincent Chin. Has anyone heard of Vincent Chin? One person. Vincent Chin grew up in a suburb of Detroit and one evening, his friends took him out to celebrate his upcoming wedding. It was the early 1980s, and the big three motor companies were feeling the threat of Japanese automakers and, and who were encroaching on the market. And it was for this reason that massive layoffs had recently occurred. And so when Vincent and his friends were out, two laid-off auto workers decided to take out their rage on the nearest Asian they could find. Vincent was beaten to death with a baseball bat. And the two workers were given three years probation and a $3,000 fine. The Asian American community was enraged about Vincent's death, and it became a rally cry for stronger legislation around hate crimes. It was because of Vincent Chin's death that hate crimes are as taken as seriously as they are today. A successful young immigrant whose life is cut short just before his wedding day with hardly a punishment for his attackers. Instead of celebrating his wedding the next week, his family and friends traveled in and dressed up for his funeral. Valleys full of bones. Does Vincent Chin's life and the lives of those like him, does it mean anything? Perhaps not to empire, but to God. Well, for God, they are almost impossibly a community of the beloved. After their tour around Death's Valley, God says, prophesy, Ezekiel. And so he does. And the bones, impossibly mixed up, hopelessly confused, rattle to life and have somehow have enough memory within their hollowed out selves to find their match. As Annie was watching this documentary, her mother walked into the room and rather than telling her to turn off the TV and get back to her homework, she stood silently in the doorway for a while and said, he is family. Again, God says, prophesy, Ezekiel. And so he does. And marrow and ligaments, tendons and musculature emerge from arid, calcified pores. Years later, Annie, the bot, the busybody, went on a fact-finding mission to understand more. She learned that Vincent Chin, her cousin, was the reason why her family had moved to the U.S. 
to be a support to his mother, her aunt. One last time, God says, prophesy, Ezekiel. So he does, and the bodies are made whole again. As she reflects on her family's reasons for coming to the U.S., Annie realizes something. At the time of her parents' immigration, China was enforcing a one-child policy, and she is number two. God bends low and breathes life into these bodies, making them whole and complete. If Vincent Chin had not been killed, Lily Chin may never have been alone in Detroit. My grandmother may never have flown to America to support her. She may never have brought my parents to America, and I may never have been born. That knowledge that my life was now precious to me, and I only knew this because I dared to be a bot Curious, asking questions after 10 years of trying to find this answer. And so every single day of my life now, I march on just like Lily Chin, my great auntie, did. Just like the thousands of people who marched for my cousin, Vincent Chin. But that message as a kid, that lesson I learned so well to not speak up, it's always in my head. And I constantly have to stop that voice, that voice that tells me, don't go on that bullhorn, Annie. Don't go to those protests. Don't write those articles. Don't make your boss angry. <laughs> don't fight for your special education students. And I tell that voice every single day, no, I have to, I have to fight. Because my cousin Vincent Chin did not die for nothing. My great auntie Lily Chin did not go all over the nation and speak out for nothing, and I was not born. And I was not born for nothing. For Ezekiel and the people who he was a prophet for, this vision was a disruption of the narrative that they had been born for nothing that they were conquered and defeated, that their God had no meaning or regard for them any longer. Speak, God says. If you would just speak, it will pull my people back together. It will knit their form in place. It will clothe them with dignity. Speak and leave the rest to me. I will breathe life into those bodies again. Is there life after death? Maybe. But in our passage for today, perhaps the more important thing to remember, to claim, to embody, is that there is life after life after death. In our passage today, the, door, the story doesn't end with death. It begins with death and ends with life and life again as the valley of the bones, the communion of saints, renews and revives the community to push through these impossible times so that there can be life after life, after death. God sees our grief. But even more than that, God dwells with us and shores us up in our grief, reminding us that, though, that the meaning of those who have passed from this realm to the next doesn't end with their death. 
The people of Israel and Judah couldn't change what had happened to them. But God's message to them through Ezekiel was that they could control the narrative of who they were and what they were yet to be. Who we decide to be, how we decide to live, these can determine, give shape, and carry forward the legacy of those who came before us. Their story continues. Our ancestors are the ink You are the pages and the spirit. God's animating breath is what binds us together in a story that the author of life is still writing, a story that is not yet ended. Let us pray. God, we are grateful that you are the author of life and that you are writing a story through each one of us, not on our own, but as we stand in the legacy of those who came before us. Family of blood, family of faith, family that you call us to be in communion with. And so help us to be co-authors with you, to be people who are not afraid of death, to be people who are not afraid of hell because hell is just a place that you are calling us to call our ancestors out of. Help us to be your hands and feet, your voice, your mouthpiece of grace and life in a world that is saturated with death. We pray this in the name of your son Jesus, who reminds us again and again that death is not the end of the story. Amen.